We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, hello everyone and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. This is your host, Tim. I am recording immediately following the Lakers Win over the Grizzlies, 128-112. L.A. dominated almost start to finish, won three of the four quarters, had over 30 points in three of the four quarters. Memphis's single quarter of over 38 points came in the second when they were able to turn the Lakers over. L.A. was playing a little bit sloppy, and we saw a stretch of play where it was Laker frantic possession, not organized, not know, knowing what's going on, equaling a turnover, and then Memphis getting a run out or get you know just not half court basketball, not organized transition. LA did attack well in transition for a good bit of the game as well, but uh, other than that one stretch there, you know the crowd getting going in Memphis, Lakers losing their composure a little bit. Other than that, LA dominated. LA dominated this game. Anthony Davis was absolutely fantastic. A defensive player of the year type performance. Seven blocks, three steals. He was 10 for 17 shooting, 12 rebounds. He drew multiple fouls on the boards. The Lakers the Lakers in the first quarter had six offensive rebounds. For the rest of the game, they had four. However, they were drawing foul after foul after foul, crashing the boards and making Memphis need to commit extra bodies and still not being able to get boards without fouls. It's that offensive rebounding attack against this Grizzlies team that, hey, in our scouting report, this is a team that on the season rebounds well. This group with these players missing the guys they're missing, they don't rebound well. 
and Ellie pushed that advantage and it forced Memphis to have to commit more numbers back to try to help there. That took them out of transition a little bit. When we look at the fast break points, it was 26 to 17 in the Lakers' favor. The Lakers at one point, well, and they finished with a 16-point lead, their biggest of the game. They had a 15-0 run. I think it went even beyond that towards the end of the game. 22 points off turnovers. Did a really good job in the first quarter. Good game plan in a lot of ways. Um, immediately, one one big question mark I had going into the game was, what does the how do the Lakers counter Memphis's post help? And like the first play of the game, second play of the game, we saw Vando flash from the opposite dunker spots in the middle of the paint and AD hit him, and it was a dunk. And it was like, all right, here we go. These guys know what they're doing. They've, they've watched the film. They have a good game plan. We saw the team get into good sets that attacked what Memphis was doing, crashing the offensive boards. They had no turnovers. They were getting blocked shots, like steals across the board. LA was dominant in that second quarter. It was that chaos I was talking about. In terms of where I saw room for opportunity in that first half, the Lakers' defense against Jaron Jackson Jr. was not to, at least the game plan that I, I had laid out that I was looking for. They weren't sending help. They weren't organized in sending help. They were letting him play 1v1, which against AD, I'm okay with. But when you go back, and I, I haven't watched the film yet. The game just ended. I'll go back and watch the film. We'll have an actual pod around tactics and adjustments and what to look look at moving forward in this series. But a lot of those post-ups were against Rui or against LeBron. And LA was playing him to his tendencies, knowing he likes to go middle, pushing him to the baseline, but then not sending any baseline help. And so he was able to get a good number of points. The one guy on the Memphis side that had a really, really good game was Jaron Jackson Jr., 31 points. 13 of 21 shooting, 3 for 3 at the line, 2 for 4 from deep. Only one turnover, had a couple blocks, had a steal, had 5 rebounds. Uh, his rebounding performance, he's not a good rebounder. Aldama's not a good rebounder. Tillman's not a good rebounder. We knew that going into the series. That was part of the scouting report. Four bigs, these guys are not good rebounding bigs. Four perimeter defenders, just in general, Kennard, Jones, and Jaw are not good perimeter defenders. You can target them. But looking at their team, Jaw, he put up 18 points. He had two assists. He had two assists because the Lakers were able to play his ball screens 2v2. They weren't hedging. They didn't need to you know, put guys in rotation. And that resulted in him not being able to just spray out to shooters. In ISO, he wasn't getting much. But he was able to get going. He was able to draw fouls. He was having some success. I'll go watch, watch the film and see what his success rate looked like. But during the game... With the Lakers deciding to start Jared Vanderbilt on him rather than the better screen navigators like Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, it appeared as though he was able to get a lot of advantages, especially in that second quarter, then into the third quarter. Uh, just, you know, set a ball screen and then Vando's like 10 feet away from him on some of these plays, like totally out of the play. And that's when they were able to generate good offense. But LA made the adjustment, got Dennis Schroeder in the game, and we immediately saw that water shut off for John Moran. The ball screen navigation for Dennis was fantastic. Did really, really good work on that end of the court on ball against Jaw. Now, Dennis early in the game did have, he got three fouls fairly quickly, two within like a minute, it seemed like. I'll have to go again, check the film. Um, a little over aggressive. The team, there were some ticky tack fouls called. I don't think this was a good whistle game for the Lakers. Uh, Memphis was able to get some favorable calls. There were some that weren't called that could have gone against them. I'm not complaining. Like it'll it'll all even out. But there were plays that the Lakers were 
I don't know. You want to pick your spots better. Once you realize the game's being called that way, I don't want to see fouls 90 feet from the basket. I don't want to see a foul on an elbow cross screen just for an entry pass. You don't you don't need to foul there. The Lakers fouled I think four of their five fouls to start the third quarter, I think it was, were non-shooting fouls. It was like dumb stuff, not stopping a scoring attempt, just stopping an entry pass. That's not that's not necessary. So little things like that they could clean up and they did clean up and were much better moving forward. I thought the adjustment we saw in the second half to putting better screen navigation on Jaw, understanding that this is a guy who gets his points from ball screens. And that's that's what we saw from him. Uh, this is a ball screen driven offense. That is the top thing that they do. So gearing up his matchup to defend that I think is really important. So that adjustment I thought was key. The defense of Jaron Jackson Jr. in the second half. I'll go look at the film and see exactly when they flip the switch. But late in the first half and then into the second half, we saw the team do a better job for, uh, when it came to sending help on post-ups. There were a couple plays where they sent the right help, but the technique wasn't right. Like once uh, Vando was on ball, kind of playing Jackson as if he was going to go middle, kind of leaving the baseline open. And then LeBron came from the high side, uh, or he came from the weak side, but it was it was also towards the middle. So then you had two guys taking away the middle and nobody defending baseline. So just little things like that they can clean up. This isn't a tactic the Lakers have used frequently during the regular season. So I have a little bit of patience with them figuring it out, but... Once they nail that down, they'll be in good shape. But from a post-offensive standpoint, the Lakers did fairly well. They were super, super efficient operating out of the post. Memphis still limited post-ups at a pretty good rate. But when LA did go there, they were able to have success. The Memphis Grizzlies ball screen offense, from a scoring possession standpoint, looking at synergy numbers in this game, 0.76 points per possession. That's horrendous. You're not winning any games playing like that. Just really, really bad. And that is the kind of defense I was expecting to see from the Lakers. Like, go under, drop, be in that high drop. Drop. We didn't see too many plays where John Morant was able to get a full head of steam and attack the rim. There was that one play he did in AD. I think it might have been in transition. AD had great verticality. There was one play he did. AD just took a charge. Um, AD's rim protection, whether it was from blocking shots, just being vertical, or taking charges was absolutely fantastic in this game. And he just all over the place. Incredible performance from Anthony Davis. Austin Reeves early in the game. And I made a note of this when we were on our on our playback stream watching live. It was like, man, he has like he had like nine points to assist. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listen to rebounds or something like that. I was like, his play has been so much better than his box score so far. And then he comes back in the game and then he puts up like 14 points really quickly, was all over the place. Putting the sauce on Jaron Jackson Jr. He just dropped him and then got that scoop layup at the rim. Hit a pull-up three. He uh, was The Lakers at one point in the game were one for eight from three. Reeves had the one three. He was hit mid-range pull-ups. He had the one play. He drew a foul. Almost got the and one. Another play where I think he I think he did get the and one. Um, no, no, no. No, I'm, th- I'm thinking the same play. He didn't hit the shot. But one where he hit a really tough shot through contact where it wasn't called and and he got it anyway. And that's part of what, when people were asking me pre-series about how will a guy like Reeves respond to the physicality of the playoffs. Well, one, we, we saw some ticky-tack fouls called. Like, they were calling contact. But understand that when you have a guy like Austin Reeves who, in the, the, the phrase we've coined, is playing ethical basketball, when he's drawing fouls, he's still getting real shots up. It's not the second he gets contact, he just throws up junk. He's shooting the ball. And there's a reason, like, when you look at the percentage of shooting fouls drawn for him that are converted into and ones, it is really high. It is way, way higher than guys like Trey Young, James Harden, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Some of those guys that are really good at drawing fouls, but they're not really getting real shots up on a lot of those attempts. Reeves is getting real shots up. So even in plays like this, this was in the fourth quarter, he drew contact. No foul was called, but he's able to put a real shot up and put it in because he's playing bas- He's playing basketball, ethical basketball, none of that unethical basketball crap. Again, it's, you know, they're playing to the rules. It's not, we're just joking around, but that is the kind of thing that provides some resiliency for his sorts of performances in these situations is being able to do what he's doing in those situations. So 23 points from him, LeBron struggled shooting from deep early, but had several key shots late, including one uh, really long pull-up, like logo three, basically. 23 points for him, 80 we talked about. Jared Vanderbilt played some good on-ball point of attack defense, struggled with the screen navigation again uh, a little bit. He had four fouls. Many of them were like bumping jaw from behind trying to, you know, he was totally behind him, blown by in these screen situations. Once the Lakers made that adjustment, they were in good shape. D'Lo had a nice performance. I wasn't really worried about him going into the series in terms of his offense or his defense. His skill set's really important. We saw Memphis go under Dennis ball screens, and that really limited what he was able to do as a ball screen operator. Still had seven points, four assists, good Defensive game from Dennis in addition to the the couple fouls. But D'Lo forcing Memphis to be at the level of the screen as a facilitator. He had seven assists, drawing two, and then finding the open man. And then also as an on-ball player, taking threes, hitting pull-up threes, hitting pull-up mid-range jumpers, able to cook an ISO a little bit. But then also as an off-ball player, when Reeves is on ball or Dennis is on ball, he's able to provide spacing that some of these other guys don't. So really strong game from him. That vanilla ice backcourt continues to impress me. But Rui Hachimura, whew, he, he was the, the kind of breakout X factor of this game. There, and I think his like second and his third quarters were night and day. He, there were a couple plays where he didn't make the right read. 
And then late in the game, there was the Lakers posted him up, and then he was reading the defense, reading the double, finding the open man. Reeves hit a tough late clock three, or an open late clock three, but a quick one. Um, that was his one assist on the game for Rui, but he was fighting on the boards for four, for all 29 minutes that he played. He was shooting the lights out of the ball, five for six. Um, I was getting yelled at in the chat uh, and by Tom on the stream at one point. What did I say? At one point I said, uh, call him Jim Bayheim, Tom, because he's in the zone. That was that received booze. Um, I had a... Uh, uh, more and more people are calling him... Um, Neil, he's going. He's more and more people are saying he's going full Neil Armstrong mode because he's out of this world that received booze as well. Tom was, you know, took a moment of silence and then asked me if I had a list or something. I don't have a list. These are just off the dome, having some fun. Twenty nine points for Rui though. He had some of the late clock pull up mid range jumpers. He hit, took a couple shots he probably shouldn't have taken. Um, hit several of them anyway, but really good shooting performance from him. I thought in the second half he did a much better job of reading situations and understanding when a post-double comes, am I the cutter? And if so, cut right away. Or if do I need to be setting a pin in flare screen? If so, do it right away. In the second quarter, there were like two plays in a row or two out of three plays where AD got doubled in the post and Rui on one play was supposed to cut, but he took too long and it blew the play up. And then on the next play, he was supposed to set a pin and flare screen. And again, he did it too late. And that was frustrating me. I don't know if he heard it from the coaching staff or not, but he was much better with that in the second half. So there were some technical adjustments that took place. There were some tactical adjustments that took place. I was really pleased with what I saw from the team in terms of, from a game planning standpoint, by the end of the game, they had the right guys on jaw. They were running the right coverages. They had the right post defense. They were offensively running the right stuff, picking those mismatches and attacking. There was a stretch of play where we saw the Lakers start to switch a bit more. And then I'll have to take a look and see exactly what this looked like. But it appeared as though they were switching and then sending help, which was my plan B uh, ball screen defense uh, in addition to the, the high drop. But makes more sense when you've got Desmond Bain in the action. Some of these guys from Memphis... They don't do well at attacking switching. Jaw, he can do well at attacking switching, but when he's out of the game, you can adjust your approach. And on the topic of Jaw and being out of the game, that was another thing. I, I, I mean, AD, scary moment. Couldn't quite tell what was happening. It looked like he uh, Jackson was holding him for a second, not like a dirty player or anything when, when AD was trying to go up. And maybe he hurt his bicep or what the Twitter doctors are all, you know, on the case saying different things. And it's like, all right, well, if anything happens and he's out for a week, he, he's out for the season. Basically, he's that important to this team. He can't be out for a series. Uh, he can't be out for three games or, or these guys are toast. So him being able to, it was just a stinger. He was able to come back and he was able to perform was absolutely critical. And then in the second half, I think in the fourth quarter, it was John Morant had an, a, a scary looking fall where he landed on his, you know, he broke his fall with his, his hands. Um, we'll have to see what happens with him. I, at the moment of recording this, I'm not sure if he's out for an extended period of time, but M Memphis obviously, you know, lost his, he brings a lot to this team. If he's not playing there, nowhere near the same team. Um, but it, regardless of that, that aside, happened late. The Lakers did a really good job from a performance standpoint, 
had a lot of good performances. Davis, Reeves, LeBron, D'Lo, Rui, Schroeder, all in different ways. Vando had some good minutes, wasn't a factor offensively outside of that, like, first play of the game. Um, Brown hit a three, missed a couple threes. Beasley went 0 for 2. So the the deeper bench guys didn't do as much. We didn't see Wendy Gabriel come in until, I think, like, the last minute of the game when the game was over. They The, the Lakers threw their deep bench in, but... Really good performance from this nine-man rotation that was really heavily leaning on, like, seven guys. And, uh, I mean, even just, you know, with that, AD played 36 minutes. LeBron played 34. Reeves played 30. D'Lo played 35. They weren't out there playing 40 minutes. Like, you can ramp these minutes up more if need be. But the Lakers, you know, with this minute distribution, I see this as being sustainable. Nobody in here is playing too many minutes at a point where I'm like, oh no, I don't know if they can keep doing this. And yet they were able to run with Memphis, win in transit. Like winning on the boards, I expect it. We talked about that. Shutting, slowing down the, the pick and roll offense, that was expected. It, we, we did the scout, we understood that was coming. Being able to win in transition though was uh, not something that I was anticipating. But to the, the pregame scout that we did, and it was on the pod yesterday, two days ago, um, this group of Memphis players has not been generating turnovers at the same rate that Memphis as a team throughout the whole season has. And if they're not generating turnovers and the Lakers match up really well schematically with them offensively and they're hitting shots, Memphis isn't going to have as many opportunities to run in transition. And I'll have to go back and look at the film again, but the Lakers did a really good job after scoring or after missing getting back. And so that level of effort, they've got a couple days off in between now and the next game. That's great. Get your legs back you know, recover, recuperate. Once I get a film review, I'll have a better sense of like, all right, from a Lakers side, what adjustments do we need to make? But, and I probably would have some thoughts right now, but to be frank, there were, I don't know, five or six key tactical areas of this game. And the Lakers started out the game winning four of them. And then by the end of the game, they were winning all of them. And so... I mean, I'm sure I'll be able to find more that they could focus on or really speak to, all right, this is what I'd expect Memphis to adjust with. If they don't, they're screwed. If they do make the adjustment, here's how the Lakers should look to respond. So we'll we'll try to think some steps ahead on the next pod once I get a look at the film and I, I think through what I think is happening next. But Memphis completely outcoached in this game, lost their star player late, had some some nice standout performances from a couple guys and uh, it wasn't like they just you know couldn't hit a shot. They hit 36% of the threes. They had 56 points in the paint. Both teams did. But I'm, I'm interested in looking at the efficiency numbers at a team level at different scoring levels because it, it really seemed like the Lakers were doing a fantastic job Ding them up. So I'm pleased. Looking forward to the next game on Wednesday, 4.30 tip-off. Again, in Memphis. But the Lakers steal game one. And that bodes that bodes quite well. I mean, even if Memphis wins the second one, Lakers go home. If you can go up 3-1 or if you win this next game, whoo, things are looking good. So really happy with the team's performance. They kept their composure quite well. We saw guys who have been, you know, untested playoff players step up and play well. The coaching was fantastic. Um, I'll have more granular things to, to critique as I dig into the film. But from a live watch, those are some of the things that I have noticed. And so I'm going to finish off this this uh, reaction pot here. I'll get it up. But stay in the spaces and would be happy to continue the conversation, take any questions, 
and uh, talk some more about this Lakers win. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time on the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.